Now we uh, come on to the fourth and last part of the catechism, uh, fourth and last uh, formal presentation, and it is going to be given to us by Dom Alquin Reed, who is a Benedictine monk of St. Michael's Abbey, Farnborough in Hampshire. He was born in 1963 in Melbourne, Australia, where he read theology and was ordained a deacon. He taught religious education and Christian theology at a comprehensive Catholic high school in London for seven years whilst undertaking research into 20th century liturgical reform in England, Rome and France. He entered St. Michael's Abbey in the year 2000 and in 2002 he was awarded a PhD from the University of London for his dissertation which formed the basis of his recently published work, The Organic Development of the Liturgy, which I would add received a very favourable review in the Catholic papers recently. Dom Alquin has published a number of works on the liturgy and has spoken and written on his experience as a teacher in a Catholic school. The title of his talk this afternoon is The Catechism as a Prayer Book. Will you welcome, please, Dom Alcuin Reed. ...shelf with other reference books? On your desk? Or is it in your room, near to your missile or your breviary if you have one, or your other spiritual and prayer books? Most of us, I expect, keep the catechism in a work or study-related place. And few amongst us, I suspect, classify and treat it as a spiritual tome. And yet, whilst it is certainly in the words of Pope John Paul II, a sure norm for the teaching of the faith, and would that it were thoroughly followed and faithfully applied by all who share in that great vocation of teaching, from our bishops through to our parents, The Catechism of the Catholic Church is more than an authoritative compendium of Catholic doctrine. It is, I submit, a tremendously rich testament of Catholic tradition, and as such, whilst maintaining its utter centrality to any catechetical endeavour claiming to be truly Catholic, the Catechism contains a wealth of material that is of use not only for teaching and study, but also for the spiritual life, the interior life, the life of prayer of any Catholic. Clearly, part four of the Catechism, itself entitled Christian Prayer, has such a value. This part of the Catechism is probably the easiest to read straight through, as its publication as a separate booklet in 1994 underlined. One could almost call it the Church's own book on Christian prayer. And as such, I venture to claim that there is no priest, religious, or layman or woman who would not benefit from a careful and meditative reading of it, perhaps during a time of retreat, when one is away from daily distractions. For we can all afford to deepen our prayer life with the help of the rich tradition of the Church, which is outlined in the Catechism in Part 4. 
This part of the Catechism offers an explanation of what prayer is, citing the beautiful and very easily memorizable definition of prayer of St. John Damascene. I expect that you know it. Prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God or the requesting of good things from God. It's in paragraph 2,559. Part 4 of the Catechism outlines the revelation of prayer in salvation history culminating in the life of our blessed Lord and in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It gives an explanation of the normative forms of Christian prayer, namely blessing and adoration, prayer and petition, intercession, thanksgiving and praise. The principal elements of the rich tradition of Christian prayer are also outlined and some practical guidance for prayer is given. Types of prayer are explained, vocal vocal prayer, meditative prayer, and contemplative prayer. And the difficulties and doubts one faces in persevering in maintaining good habits of prayer are addressed. Finally, and most importantly, part four of the Catechism, following an ancient tradition, contains a lengthy exposition of the Christian prayer, the Lord's Prayer which Tertullian famously called the summary of the whole gospel. These pages, I repeat, are themselves highly worthy of our careful, prayerful attention, particularly if we have a time of a spiritual retreat. If you've not turned to this section of the Catechism and drawn from its riches, I hope that that little summary of its contents will prompt you so to do, for it is the Church's own book on prayer. And whilst there are many helpful books on prayer available, and perhaps one or two that aren't, the Catechism's aim to present the breadth of sound Catholic spiritual tradition, and as ever, its copious references to a wide range of sources in that tradition, which more than compensates for the brevity of this section in the Catechism, All of those things render it singular in its importance and usefulness for anyone wishing to learn about or deepen their understanding of Christian prayer. However, it's not primarily as a book on prayer that I wish to recommend the Catechism to you. Rather, I want to suggest that it has a particular value as a book of prayer, as a prayer book, as it were. That's why I asked you where you keep keep your copy of it. I hope that soon enough you'll wish to have it to hand when you pray. But let me be clear. The Catechism is not the Missal, nor is it a book of devotional prayers. Though, as Father Edwards illustrated in answering one of his questions, it does draw from such sources. I'm not going to suggest that the Catechism could supplant the Church's sacred liturgy or the wealth of beautiful Catholic devotions that have flowered in the history and the tradition of the Church. We would be behaving rather oddly were we to be found reciting paragraphs of the Catechism instead of the Holy Rosary or instead of the texts of the Divine Office or the prayers of the Mass. Not even passages of the Catechism may replace the official liturgical texts. How, then, is the Catechism a prayer book? Let's return to St. John Damascene's definition of prayer. 
Now, were this to be my classroom and I were to be your teacher, I would select somebody in the hall at the moment who seems not to be paying attention. And I would ask them to stand and recite that definition. And I wouldn't relent until I had prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God or the requesting of good things from God. Obviously enough, the Catechism authoritatively teaches what is good and what is not, and why. And in this way, it can certainly guide our requesting of good things from God in prayer. But that still does not suffice to constitute it a prayer book. But if we take the first part of St. John Damascene's definition, that prayer is the raising of the mind and heart to Almighty God, we shall, I suggest, see that the Catechism is a singularly important prayer book. When it comes to personal prayer, we are all very prone to Twitter on, be it with words that are part of a particular devotion, or be it with our worries and anxieties and needs and lists of people and good things for whom and for which we wish to pray. And let us be in no doubt, even our Twittering when it arises out of love of God and of our neighbor, is true prayer. And Almighty God sees that love with which such prayer is made and responds to it. However, in order to raise our minds and hearts to God, all that many words are not so necessary, nor indeed are they always desirable. As well as talking to, or at, or petitioning Almighty God, prayer can simply be savoring the things of God, pondering them, focusing one's attention on them, looking at them with love and with awe. Indeed, prayer can be contemplating the things of God. And it's precisely here that the Catechism of the Catholic Church comes into its own as a book of prayer. For the Catechism is, as the Holy Father wrote in 1992 in his Apostolic Constitution on the publication of the Catechism, offered to all the faithful who wish to deepen their knowledge of the unfathomable riches of salvation. Whilst the deepening of such knowledge is certainly an intellectual task, it is not exclusively or even primarily intellectual, but spiritual. For Almighty God will not examine our intellectual grasp of truth on Judgment Day. He will ask how faithfully we have lived according to the revelation of the fullness of the truth in our Lord Jesus Christ. And whilst our intellectual understanding of orthodox doctrine serves to guide us to Judgment Day aright and to inform our moral choices in this life, it is the life of grace the nourishing of our souls with the contemplation of the mysteries of our faith that sustains us in persevering in living according to the will of our Lord and the teaching of his church to the end. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church is an invaluable source for that nourishment which our souls require. It's fertile ground for that prayer which is the contemplation of the triune God who has revealed himself in our history and who calls all people to love and serve him in his one true church in this life and to live forever with him in the next. Using the catechism to such an end is a very high ideal indeed. 
but how do I propose that it can be achieved? How can I put my copy of the Catechism to work as a book of prayer? The answer, I think, is simple. At a time of personal prayer, look into the Catechism and ponder, indeed contemplate, in silence, before Almighty God, the truth that you find there. Do not be too concerned about reading on to the next section. Simply chew over the kernel of the text. And do not be anxiously trying to imagine or to work out what God might be saying to you from it. Just ponder it in silence and in calm. The rest, including anything God wishes to make clear, will come in the silence and attention and love and time that we give to God in raising our minds and hearts to him in this way. For such prayer without a fixed agenda can surprise us. And through it, we can be led by the Holy Spirit to glimpse and more deeply to understand the unfathomable riches of our salvation offered to us in the Catechism. Now, the Catechism is without doubt an utterly sound text in which to ground such prayer. However, I've always regarded the not uncommon practice of opening a Bible at random in the search of some instant and purportedly divine-inspired message from Almighty God as a rather questionable practice. And I would submit that doing the same with the Catechism, whilst it couldn't really lead one astray, might produce some rather disjointed efforts at prayer. We need some rationale or structure so that our contemplation of the mysteries of our faith is integral and integrated. To this end, I would suggest that we organize our prayerful contemplation of the contents of the Catechism according to the mind of the Church as expressed in the Sacred Liturgy, in her annual round of seasons and feasts. A simple looking up of the seasons of the Church's year in the Catechism's subject index will lead one to much material to ponder. Cross-referencing a particular day's readings from sacred scripture with the Catechism's index of citations can be similarly fruitful, providing an insight into the meaning the Church has given to such readings in her tradition and doctrine. Similarly, the Catechism's indices will direct us to much sound spiritual nourishment on the great feasts of the Church's year, such as Pentecost, Trinity Sunday, Corpus Christi, the Sacred Heart, etc. The feasts of Our Blessed Lady can only be enriched by the contemplation of the doctrinal mystery they celebrate as elaborated in the Catechism. The feasts of particular saints can be enhanced when we ponder how the Church has drawn from their writings or example in formulating her teaching. Again, the index of citations will guide us. But once we have found what the Catechism has to say on a particular season, or a feast, or an associated topic, how do we go about making that the material of prayer? Now, having been taught by Jesuits in the seminary, I am very wary of methods of prayer, because I find that recipes for the action of God in any soul are very clearly limited. But with that caveat, I would offer the following structure that may help open the spiritual treasury which the Catechism contains. I would suggest that we read over the passage a few times, 
stopping, if necessary, from reading too much, because detailed study can be done later. But that we notice the sources of the Catechism's teaching that are given in the footnotes, which can perhaps themselves be a source of further enrichment. And then, I would suggest we calmly ponder what we're reading, allowing God, the Holy Spirit, as much space and tranquility of mind and heart as possible in order to illuminate our understanding of what the text is saying. I would then suggest that we stay with that text, as it were, throughout the day, or perhaps for a few days or a week, rereading it, and perhaps reading some of the passages of sacred scripture or of the fathers of the church or other texts that form the basis of that teaching, or the cross-references to other passages in the Catechism. Such an extended digestion of what the Catechism has to say will allow our understanding and appreciation to take root. And then, returning to a time of personal prayer, if we contemplate again what we have been digesting, we can be confident that the Holy Spirit will give us light and understanding. This structure may or may not be helpful. What is important, however, is the principle of raising our hearts and minds to a greater awareness of the riches of the teaching of the Church in an atmosphere of prayerful contemplation. And however we go about that, it is, in, it is good, indeed very good, that we do it. Again, prayer ought to be somewhat less busy than study which is not to devalue study at all. Indeed, prayerful contemplation both leads to and grounds study, and at times arises from it. I would add one warning. As a primarily doctrinal text, the Catechism is necessarily concise, precise, and rich. The doctrinal kernel of what the Church may in fact celebrate in rites and prayers and hymns in the sacred liturgy over many hours, days, or even months, is often found in but a few paragraphs in the Catechism. Too much of such doctrinal concentrate ought not to be taken too quickly in the pursuit of prayer. It may be that one quotation will sustain our contemplation for quite some time, and that's fine because there's no syllabus of contemplation that we are required to complete within a given time. We are free simply to savour what Almighty God has revealed. As well as applying the principle of raising our hearts and minds to a greater awareness of the riches of the teaching of the Church in an atmosphere of prayerful contemplation in accordance with the structure of the Church's liturgical year, it can and indeed ought to be applied according to particularly important events in the lives of individuals. Sacramental events immediately come to mind. Parents and godparents, or adults preparing for the sacrament, could, no, could do no better than contemplate the Catechism's teaching on baptism leading up to its liturgical celebration, as could candidates and sponsors before the celebration of confirmation. All of us would profit from some further contemplation of the doctrine of the sacrifice of the Mass at different times in our life. We might well ask, when was the last time that I took time in prayer to 
deepen my appreciation of the wonders of this most glorious sacrament. The prospect of an engaged couple preparing for the sacrament of matrimony, nourished by a spiritual reading of the Catechism's teaching on that sacrament, could only augur well for their future life as the domestic church that is the family. And imagine the graces the Holy Spirit could pour into the hearts of such a young couple who were so, peer, so serious in their preparation for the sacrament. Candidates for all three grades of the Sacrament of Holy Orders would do very well to take the Catechism on their own ordination retreat. And the Catechism contains much to assist us all in preparing to make a good confession. And again, if we're making a retreat, at the end of which traditionally we would make our confession, we would do well to have the Catechism with us. We may also want to copy out paragraph 1691, the first paragraph in the section of part three, Life in Christ, which reproduces St. Leo the Great's beautiful exhortation to live according to the dignity of a Christian. That quotation may well be something we wish to have to hand when we prepare to make our confession at any time. The Catechism also provides much with which the sick, where possible, and their families and friends can prepare for the administration of the sacrament of anointing. And when we mourn the death of a person, turning to the Church's teaching on the efficacy of prayer for the dead and on the communion of the saints is a most natural and truly consoling thing to do. Similarly, when a particular issue, such as the violation of the dignity of human life, or indeed any concern about which we wish to pray, when any of these things weighs heavily upon our heart, lifting up that heart to Almighty God in contemplation of the teaching of the Church in respect of the issue that concerns us, cannot but bring light, grace, and some measure of peace. So too, when we ourselves, or people we know, face difficult moral decisions, or when we simply don't understand why the Church teaches as she does on a particular topic, turning to the Catechism as the source for prayer may hold the answer and may bring the grace of conversion to living according to the truth of that teaching. Similarly, at times of doubt, the Catechism's clarity and objectivity will help us to see clearly. Reading and studying the teaching of the Catechism is one thing, and an entirely essential activity at that, but contemplating that teaching in prayer is another. It's nothing short of inviting God the Holy Spirit to come to us personally and, as it were, explain that teaching in person. Teachers of the faith, no matter how learned or of what ecclesiastical rank, can benefit from this approach to the catechism. Were preachers to adopt it, both their preaching and the faith of their people would stand to gain very much indeed. Those considering a vocation to the priesthood or religious life will find clarity in prayerfully pondering what the catechism has to say about the particular vocation to which they may be called. Adults preparing for baptism or reception into the church may find a systematic contemplation of the catechism, at least begun because such would take an awfully long time, very worthwhile, as no doubt would any person considering becoming a Christian. In all of these ways, and in many more, this sure norm for the teaching of the faith, as the Catechism is, 
may be seen to be the solid foundation, a solid foundation for the spiritual life. For doctrine and prayer are intricately related. Prayer is applied faith, as Cardinal Ratzinger has written. For some, though, the catechism is a daunting tome, appearing far, appearing far too complicated for comfort. It's true that it certainly does take time to learn how to drive the catechism, as it were, with its page numbers and paragraph numbers and cross-references and different indices and so on. However, if children can operate complicated machines with ease, with a little practice, adults can learn to drive the catechism in order easily to access its treasures. Others may fear that it's full of technical theological terms that are quite beyond them. The Catechism was not, thankfully, translated by the unreformed Isel, therefore it may be said to render the definitive text reasonably faithfully, and therefore it does contain explicitly theological language. But that's because it's about theological things. Be that as it may, as I hope is evident from the definition of prayer from St. John Damascene I quoted earlier, the Catechism often expresses the truths of our faith in the simplest, most beautiful, and in the most utterly comprehensible, and indeed memorizable, language. But if on occasion, when opening the Catechism, we must also reach for a dictionary, I'm not sure that that's entirely a bad thing. Some may have been put off the Catechism by people in authoritative positions, telling them that it was written for bishops and experts, and not for the use of laypeople. Not so. As we quoted above, Pope John Paul II offered it to all the faithful who wished to deepen their knowledge of the unfathomable riches of salvation. And here, I respectfully submit, all means all. This treasure is not to be sidelined or kept out of the reach of those for whom it was intended, which includes each one of us. And so, whilst I hope that you study the Catechism and that those of you who share the vital vocation of teaching the faith never fail faithfully to convey its doctrine, I also most earnestly encourage you to pray the Catechism of the Catholic Church, to contemplate its riches according to the principle I've sought to outline above. For as our Lord teaches us in the Gospel of St. Luke when he recalls the complaint of the busy Martha about the inactivity of Mary, the role of sitting at the feet of the Lord and listening to his teaching, as did Mary, even when there is much to be done, is good and indeed is necessary. I suspect that today there are very few amongst us who are tempted to inactivity. There is just so much to be done in so many areas of the church's life. Rather, I suspect that there are many of us who perhaps ought to take just a little more time to sit at the feet of the Lord and to listen to his teaching. When we make that time, the Catechism of the Catholic Church ought to be by our side. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dom Alcuin. Now, no event organised by Pro Ecclesia at Pontifice would be complete without uh, an appearance on the platform of someone 
who has given and continues to give unstintingly of her time, effort and energy on your behalf in defending and promoting the one true faith. I invite her now to come and say a few words to you, our Chairman, Mrs Daphne MacLeod. Thank you very much, Michael. I'm very pleased to have this opportunity to say a few words, and particularly to say a few thank yous. I want to thank our wonderful speakers. We've really been given excellent talks today. Now, I know they're all busy people, and yet they've taken, obviously, a great deal of time and thought to prepare something that was really worthwhile, and has given us a great deal to think about and learn from. They were fascinating and and really informative expositions of Catholic teaching. Fortunately, they've all been captured on audio tape. You can get tapes to listen to them again and to share them with your friends. Because John Edwards of CV Production was here taping them. It makes me remember one man who came in this morning. And when I sold him his ticket, I said, I hope you'll enjoy the day. Oh, I will, he said. You've got a wonderful cast. (laughs) What you are. I'd also like to thank everyone else who made this day so successful. Michael Aikerman, who worked so hard preparing it and has chaired the day so superbly for all of us. Yeah, he deserves a clap. (laughs) John Edwards, who gave us the music for our hymns, as well as recording all the time, all the talks. Caroline Hurst, who got up at the crack of dawn, I think two o'clock yesterday morning, to get the flowers and to arrange them on the stage and to decorate the hall for us. And John Gunn and John Reed, who very generously have provided the books that you're going to take home with you today, which is a really generous thing to do. And indeed, all the committee, who all worked very hard to make this day possible. I'd like to thank the Central Hall staff, who've worked with us with constant helpfulness and courtesy, which makes life so much easier and more pleasant. And finally, I'd like to thank all of you for coming. Without you, it would be nothing. You've supported us here today. You've been so kind and helpful with your comments, and so generous with your donations, which keep us going. I look forward to mailing new people with our newsletter, The Flock, which is great. And also, I look forward to seeing you all again when we have another event. Thank you all very much indeed. I think Daphne has thanked everyone. I don't have to do that. But uh, let us uh, thank God now with our final prayers. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I'd invite uh, Father Wadsworth now to join me in the blessing. 
Dominus vobiscum, benedicat vos omnipotens Deus, pater et filius et spiritus sanctus. The last hymn is our theme song, Faith of Our Fathers. It's in the middle of the booklet on the right-hand side. Thank you very much, everybody. We wish you a safe journey home.